What's up everyone, I'm Corey Siegfried and this is my interview series, The Turn. Welcome to a different side of golf. This is our second episode of the season, which will include nine episodes with one released every nine days. In these episodes, we'll approach what each individual does both on and off the golf course with a business perspective in mind. The next two weeks, we're focusing on people who have leveraged social media to cultivate a following and create a brand. If you're always looking for ways to improve your game through stats and analytics like me, you'll love this episode. This week, we hear from Lou Stagner, a director of analytics at a multi-billion dollar privately held company in Philadelphia. He's also the Golf Stat Pro and has gained over 11,000 Twitter followers in 18 months by publishing deep statistical insights into the questions we all ask. Does your angle to the pin matter? Should I go for it or should I lay up? At what point is being in the rough instead of the fairway an advantage? And one of my favorites, what are the PGA Tour Pro's handicaps? And if they play net events, who would have won the most majors? Lou's analysis and tweets have been written about by every major golf publication. He's appeared on Michael Breed's XM radio show numerous times, has been interviewed on several occasions, and is a guest contributor for the website MyGolfSpy. As a byproduct of his work, Lou helps professional and amateur golfers optimize their strategy with stats and analytics. His stable of players range from PGA Tour and European Tour professionals to Division I collegiate players competing at the highest amateur level to weekend country club players looking for any way to improve. Lou and I discuss what he set out to create with his Twitter account, how he's built a brand around objective data insights, and the unforeseen opportunities that have come out of it all. We also talk about how he and his daughter built a 20,000 Lego piece replica of Augusta's Amen Corner that they will auction off to benefit charity after it's signed by several former Masters champions. We jump right into the conversation from the get-go, so let's get started. I hope you enjoy this as much as we did. Hello, uh, this is Corey Siegfried. This is The Turn, and I'm here with my good buddy, Lou Stagner. Lou, how are you? I'm doing good today, Corey. How are you? I'm great. So you've one of the things I want to start off with first, because we've been talking about it, is the immense amount of distance you've gained recently. What has gone into doing that? You know, it's one thing that I always preach, being in golf analytics, distance is really important, and we understand that now. And so I was cruising along, you know, with a swing speed of, you know, 99-ish right in there. And I knew that I could get faster. And then I started to do super speed. um, And um, it worked uh, pretty well for me. I went from like 99 to 106 on super speed and, you know, very uh, closely followed their protocols. And, and, and but then I kind of plateaued at 106. Being in the golf analytics space, it's, uh, it's opened up some, some really cool doors. And one of the guys that I got to meet was uh, Clay Ballard. He runs a, a website, Top Speed Golf. The thing that was really um, interesting to me with, with Clay's program is you do it all while hitting golf balls. You know, super speed, you're picking up these sticks and you're just swinging these, these sticks. And it certainly helped me, but it didn't translate as much as you know, hitting a golf ball for me where you actually make contact and, and you have to, I think, disregard um, not making good contact because you're going to hit it all over the face when you're trying to really increase your swing speed. But some of the drills that, that I did in there 
um, I think they made a much bigger difference for me because I was actually hitting a golf ball. Went through the program, and in in just a couple of weeks, I was went from like 106 to a you know a playing speed of 110 in in a week essentially, and then it crept up to 114. When I'm going all out right now, I can hit like 122, 123. Um, I have a launch monitor in the garage. I have a SkyTrack, which uh, does really good on ball speed, and I've gotten ball speed now up to 183 so but my playing speed now is is in the you know 113 114 range and you know I'm a I'm an office worker I sit behind a desk all day and if I can gain speed I'm pretty sure that anyone can gain some speed and it all makes a huge difference so you mentioned day job what's your background in analytics um, so I've been in the analytics space for, you know, nearly two decades now. Um, and it was, uh, I was doing analytics before they even called it that, uh, I went to college, uh, and, um, was a computer science major in college at math minor. Um, and then when I got out, I was doing software development and, uh, a big part of what I always gravitated towards uh, early on in my career was the the reporting and analytics side. You know, there were not dedicated teams at companies, you know, back in the late 90s and early 2000s. It just, that wasn't the case. Uh, and I always gravitated towards that. I really enjoyed it. And then that just kind of blossomed into a career in data and analytics when that became uh you know, more of a dedicated function at organizations. I currently am a director of analytics at a really large privately held company and have a team of really smart people that, you know, do really, you know, nerdy math things uh, from basic reporting to predictive analytics and everything in between. Love working with the data, love working with golf data. Um, so it's just kind of a, uh, it's been a fun ride. One of the things I love is that you've taken all the, all your curiosity and made it into a brand, right? So you have a huge Twitter following. You dabbled a little bit in Instagram, but it's not, it wasn't for you. <laughs> uh, no, I still, I'm not smart enough to figure out Instagram. Twitter is my, my sweet spot. <laughs> Going into winter of 2018, um, I consume a, a lot of different golf podcasts. And in one of those podcasts, um, is Will Haskett's Perfect Number podcast. And he had <clears throat> some golf guys on there. And one of the things that Will has talked about in the past um, is trying to measure performance in the clutch. You know, how are guys doing when they're coming down the back nine on Sunday? Do they do better? Do they do worse? How does it look? And um, I thought, you know, that's a really interesting question. And I, I've always dabbled in golf data. Uh, and so I've always been interested and involved in it. And, and then I thought, you know, I think I could do something with, with the tour data around that specific question of trying to see how players perform in the clutch. And so I went out and I, I built this thing. And I didn't think that many people beyond you know some of my golf buddies would ever be interested would ever read it and and so i i created this twitter uh, well i started to use my twitter account and then when i started this golf blog i thought you know what i built this really cool tool to see how players do in the clutch and i want to see if i can connect with this guy will haskett that runs this podcast so i tweeted at him some stuff and next thing you know we're having a conversation and a few weeks later he has me 
on his podcast. And so that was kind of, you know, the, the genesis of, of how I started. I had no intentions of it ever going anywhere other than uh, something for me to spend a, a few minutes on, you know, when it was snowing outside here in the Northeast. What has it grown into since then? I, I created something around measuring performance uh, in the clutch. And then the thing I did after that, that also got a ton of attention was I wanted to understand in detail the idea of if you have a better angle to the pin, um, it, it's going to be an easier shot. And I always, that's what I've been told since I started golfing, right? If the pin's yeah. on the left, be on the right side of the fairway for the better angle. And that's what I thought I would find. But I, I put this thing together, did the analysis and didn't really find that. And I was shocked by that. I put that out there and that got a ton of attention. I partnered with a, a couple of guys, a couple of golf coaches um, and for a little while uh, and started, I did some work for some tour players. Uh, and then at the tail end of 2019, I partnered with a guy named Scott Fawcett, who uh, created the decade system of course management and strategy. And, and we've been working together since since last November. So it, it's been kind of a whirlwind, completely unexpected, but it's been a lot of, a lot of fun along the way. I, I probably followed you when you were under a thousand followers, I, I think. And it's crazy to see where it's come. So before we get into like managing the brand and how it's grown and just cultivating it, you know, to your point, you gain so many followers just overnight, which is hard to do. And probably because a lot of, uh, in my opinion, and they're great findings that you have, they challenge status quo. In some cases, they're unpopular opinions that people don't want to hear. Like you've, I've seen you get in the stats with some high profile people who are like, well, no, this is how it's always been. You're like, well, the data speaks a lot louder than, you know, the your beliefs and here's what that is right what biases do you fight in analyzing that data knowing that the audience they'll find it like an unpopular opinion of like well that can't be right so like what what like what's your process of going through the data and finding the asking those questions and then finding the right answer i i try my best to eliminate the biases as much as i can and i try to treat an analysis uh, almost clinical um, in a very intimate clinical sense where the data just speaks for itself. And I, and I try to, when I create something, I always try to come at it from both angles uh, where if I have a position on something and I'll use a, a hot topic in golf, the distance debate, right? We should roll back equipment. We should roll back the ball. I'm not, I'm not a proponent of that. Um, I like the game the way it is currently. I think it, it's evolved. I think it'll continue to evolve. Um, I've put a number of things out there that uh, kind of support the other side, like the other side's opinion on, on the rollback debate. So I, I try to do my best to let the data speak for itself. Uh, but I do have, I realize I do have some inherent biases on, on, on what I think and, and distance is one of them. Putting is another. Um, I think putting, you know, gets a, a, a bad rap sometimes. Um, and, and so I, I have to constantly fight my need to, um, you know, validate my own opinion by only sharing what I think uh, is correct or what I think is appropriate. So it's a lot easier to do that at work I've found in my day job uh, than, yeah. it, than it is with golf. You know, at work, it's, it's extremely clinical. The numbers are what the numbers are. But uh, again, keeping it very clinical uh, is definitely the, the path that I, I try to stay on as much as possible. 
this being all birthed out of being a golfer and wanting to get better, there's obviously going to be subjectivity included, at least in the beginning, or some of the questions you're asking yourself, what's like the one finding you've come across that is completely changed your perspective on something aside from the new angle or angles, not meaning much. Yeah. Has it been something where like, I totally believe it's this, you measure day, you're like, wow, that's completely different. Yeah. Um, that is by far the biggest one. There's been a number along the way that have, uh, have really surprised me. I would say one of them is, um, around putting, analyzing putts by how much they break. Um, and I was really surprised to see, we've always heard, you know, hook putts are a lot easier than, than putts that break the other way. And yeah. while there is a little bit of truth to that, it, it's not, um, the discrepancy isn't as much as, as I would have thought. Um, and ultimately when I, when I look at, uh, at different make rates by how much a putt breaks or how much uphill or downhill it happens to be, you know, trying to position yourself to have a more favorable putt is a recipe for disaster. You just want to get as close to the hole as you can as possible. Uh, and I'm specifically talking about shots around the green there. So when you're chipping to the hole, you should not try to chip to leave yourself a, an uphill putt. That's not a good recipe. You want to get as close to the hole as you can. And if you happen to have a downhill putt, you happen to have a downhill putt. So, you know, part of the problem with this is this is not, not my day job. It's, it's a, uh, it's a hobby that's turned into a, a business and I don't have you know, 40 hours a week to put into it. You know, my day job is constantly on my mind and I'm constantly, you know, tackling projects and working through tasks. Uh, and, and it's top of mind where golf, um, I will put in the time when I have the time, you know, like most of us with our day jobs, we're constantly thinking about it. We're constantly in the trenches when you have to step out of the trench to go do something else. And you come back to golf three days later, sometimes it takes someone like me uh, a few days or a few hours to catch back up and re remember where I left off, you know, running and managing all of this in the brand as a business. Uh, right. And like you said, having, you know, family allocating the time to what is basically moonlighting and you're still playing and right. all this and everyone's always hitting you up for help and, uh, you know, attention. Almost everyone's got opinions online. So what goes into running and managing this brand as a business? You know, the one thing that I found is, is someone that really was completely absent on social media. Don't have, I'm not very savvy with social media. And what I mean by that is not just savvy and knowing how to use it and what to put out there and when to put it out there and, and how to attract followers. I just mean conversing on social media. Like I'm a really laid back, easygoing guy. Uh, I'm a, an analytics guy who can be pretty binary, like ones and zeros. Let's have a talk about the numbers. And it's, it's, uh, I think it's very nuanced to have a debate or a discussion on Twitter sometimes where I think it's, it's true on both sides where you, you can't, you know, you and I are having a conversation right now. We're looking at each other on a computer screen. We can hear the tone of the voice. We can, we can understand that, that, uh, you know, this is a friendly conversation. I think sometimes in social media, that's not the case. Right. Yeah. And so early on, I, you know, when, when I had, you know, really good intentions of, you know, having a discussion or a debate or an argument, I'll call it an argument with somebody, you know, the if we were having the discussion in person, it would have been just like this, but on social media in written form, it doesn't come across the same way. So that's one place where I, I've, 
I think I've tried to adjust the brand on social media is I, I've, I do my best to, to try to avoid some of that stuff now, or I go out of my way and in, in what I write to try to make it, you know, not sound confrontational and all, mm-hmm. because I think people's knee jerk reaction sometimes on social media is they just assume it's confrontational and then, and then, um, they're confrontational back and it escalates from there. And that, that doesn't really help the brand at all. So I've tried to do my best at that. And, and uh, I mean, I'm certainly not perfect, but that's one thing that I, I've, uh, I've, I've tried to do um, around yeah. the branding. It, it, like you said, I, I've gotten that too, because I'd always delve into the comments or the threads that are on your post and people are like affronted or feel accosted by numbers. I've done better at not responding to everything. Um, when I put stuff out there, I get, depending on what I put out there, I'll get a lot of comments or I'll get a lot of direct messages and, and I do my best to respond, but I don't respond to everything. Just, just, I mean, it's not my full-time job. If it was my full-time job, I probably would respond to everything. And so I've never, never tried to gain followers, you know, in any promoted way or follow me for a chance to win. It's all been organic. And I think that's just because I, I've tried to put out stuff that I think people will find interesting, useful, and helpful and, and give my opinions and guidance when I think it's warranted. And then sometimes just leave the interpretation to them at times. I, it's funny you mention uh, expectation setting through the data and what you put out there. That's honestly what I've gathered the most. Generally, the, the information that uh, gets a lot of traction from people, when you put out there and you show the, you know, the make rates on putting or proximity uh, uh, with wedges from the fairway or whatever the case may be, uh, people are surprised by that. And I, I think they, we all have our own biases. Most of us, our only experience with professional golfers is watching golf on TV on the weekend. And we're generally seeing the best players in the world um, on a heater playing really well. So before we get into any opportunities that have been birthed out of creating this brand, I'm curious how you've been monetizing it uh, or if you've thought about monetizing it down the road. So obviously working with uh, with Scott and decade golf, um, that's one way, but what are some of the other ways that uh, monetizing this or your thoughts about it have come up? Yeah, you know, there's, um, it's still early on. Um, I've had other opportunities. I've, I've done some work, some paid work for some other organizations. I can't say one of them, but I, I do some work for one organization. Uh, I'm on, in, under an NDA with them, so I can't share who that is. But, you know, that, that all uh, came from, you know, these simple tweets that I've been putting out. Like, I, I quickly scuttled my blog like I had a, a, a blog a URL and I, I put some yeah. things out there it just I, I deleted it all of the attention was on Twitter um, and and so I just focused my efforts on Twitter and 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 then I've had conversations with people that you know I still have to pinch myself uh, so I, I do targeted strategy uh, with players specific to their game and their needs. I work with players of all different levels from, you know, very elite D1 players to, you know, one guy that I work with, he's a 14 handicap. You know, I wish I had a better answer than that. I'm still trying to feel my way through all of this and, and trying to balance that this is just a, an unexpected side gig. There's a couple of coaches, very, very well-known coaches that have reached out to me and they have uh, some things that they are working on. 
that's going to be targeted for the general public. And they have asked me if I uh, have an interest in being involved on the analytics side. So I have some, uh, some very, very well-known coaches that I might be working with uh, in the future as they start to release some different things. I try to balance and find the things that are going to be most interesting to me. Um, and uh, I'm excited for some things that are upcoming that I don't know that I can quite share yet. But uh, yeah, it's been uh, a lot of fun and very unexpected in a lot of ways. So it sounds like a lot of opportunity could come out of everything you're doing. You just don't know where. And I think that's the beauty of this is it reminds me a lot of what my brother Max said about his Instagram page. He said out, he's like, you know, I was just having fun being a goofball, which he is at 22 years old. Yeah. And he's like, people love it. People follow it. And I'm just doing what I believe is best for me and having fun. And things are coming out of it that I didn't really set out to achieve or to strive for. And anything that comes my way is great. Right. It sounds like a very similar approach where it's yeah. like, I'm curious, I find something and people like it. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's really what it is. I, I never would have uh, in a million years thought that um, I would have monetized golf stats in any way when I started this. It was never the intention. It was never some it was never an idea in the back of my mind to turn this into a business or a brand in any way, shape or form. And now I, you know, I have conversations with people like you. I, I regularly, I get phone calls from well-known golfers and golf instructors. Um, I, I've, I've been on a lot of different shows, including, you know, like with Michael Breed a bunch of times on, yeah. on, on his show on uh, Sirius XM radio. So it's just been the opportunities continue to come up. They continue to surface I'm, I could probably, what I could probably do is I could probably do a better job with actively trying to pursue more opportunities. Like that's one thing that I, I haven't really done is I haven't tried to, I really haven't tried to pursue anything. The only thing I would say I officially tried to pursue was um, I tweeted one time at like, you know, Thursday night at 10 PM, I tweeted one single tweet with one sentence that said, Hey, I work with amateur players one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. If, you, if you're interested, shoot me a DM and I'll give you more info. That turned into a, a number of people reaching out to me and then me starting to work with a number of those folks on their games. And I've had to, uh, I got to a point where, you know, I work with a, a handful now and, and I, I just don't have time to do any more than that. What would you do differently then? Scott and I were going to be doing camps. We were going to be, you know, uh, multi-day camps away at a resort. Um, and that we were, uh, you know, we had already started to tease that back at, in middle of February, end of February. Oh, yeah. And, and all of yeah. our, we had everything. We had sites already picked. We worked through all the details. We were going to be doing camps, a couple of different style of camps, one targeted at elite junior players and another uh, at meant for adults. We were completely sidetracked and canceled by COVID. Um, when that hit, we had to stop everything. And, and those have not yet been put, you know, back on the books in any way, shape or form. So that is the other item where, where I guess I have, um, you know, tried to actively bring new things in as we get eventually, hopefully past this as a country and in a spot where, you know, people are comfortable traveling and staying elsewhere. We'll certainly revisit those, but that's not going to be in this calendar year. What would you say is the most valuable lesson 
whether it's business or relationship or whatever that you've learned in creating all of this? Do what you enjoy, right? So I have a limited amount of time with a day job and a family and and other interests. Uh, But when I sit down to work on golf analytics, it's not a grind. It's not, it's not something that I'm not looking forward to. It's um, kind of how I enjoy spending my free time. So it makes it seem not like work in any way at all, which, which makes it very easy to do the next thing. Uh, But because it's something I'm incredibly passionate about and I love, like if I stop doing this tomorrow and and by stop, I mean, I stopped tweeting about it. I stopped doing anything else. um, I would still do this stuff for myself. I would still be very curious about some of this tour data. I would still look at it for myself and I would, uh, I would do different things just for me, just out of curiosity. So the biggest uh, takeaway I have from this is if you're going to occupy your time with something, make sure it's something that you're passionate about because it, it makes it a lot easier to do. And, you know, that's not groundbreaking or earth shattering. We've all heard that a million times. You know, there's nothing new there, but I'll just validate and say it's 100% true. Where do you think this is all headed in the future? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I, I'm going to continue to expand what I do, both working with amateurs and tour players. Once we get back to a better sense of normalcy, we will re-pursue uh, multi-day schools. Uh, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. Uh, I think um, for as simple as it is to teach strategy effectively to someone, uh, it's also a, a very complex topic at the same time. And, and being able to, to deliver that message, what at times is a very nuanced message in person to somebody in a golf environment, um, I think there's going to be uh, a lot of benefit to people learning that way. So I'm, I'm looking forward to being able to get, you know, to be able to start those up. Uh, that's what I'm looking at. I've also, um, started to put together outlines uh, for a book based on uh, strategy, a stats combo, but really focused on strategy. And, and so I've started, uh, started that. Uh, I wish I was a better writer. I'm better at, uh, at math than I am at writing. So Hey, I was an English major. So All right. me, that's, a, that's a deal. Yeah. Let's, <laughs> let's do it. Uh, you're, you're hired. <laughs> Sweet. All right. There's an opportunity that's come out of this for me already. That's great. Yeah, there you go. Speaking of opportunities that come out of uh, everything you were doing, one you haven't, we haven't mentioned, which was, I think, an honestly, God, true opportunity that was birthed out of your following was the Lego project you have with your daughter. Can you describe what you did? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so I was uh, coming, I came across uh, some architect, um, uh, like a building architect, not a golf architect, that built a replica of Augusta National Golf Club, um, built a replica of the clubhouse, and he sold it for, it was maybe $1,700. And my daughter's really into Lego. So my daughter, um, she is going into fifth grade. And she is destined, this is where, you know, this is where everyone's going to go. Yeah, it's just dad bragging about his kid. And I am a little bit, but she is destined to be a serial entrepreneur. And I showed it to her and said, check this out. Isn't this really cool? And I told her the story and we read it together. And she looked at me and she's like, dad, we need to build a golf hole and you need to sell it on Twitter because I bet we could get a lot of money. And so we kind of started batting around the idea and it took a while. Like we started this, um, 
maybe October-ish of 2019 when we started to talk about it. Um, and it took us a while to plan it out. And we eventually got really serious about about planning. And I learned more about Lego than you could, uh, than I ever thought I would <laughs> know. Um, and we, we put together, you know, graph paper uh, and we basically plotted out where everything was going to be. We kind of figured out all the pieces we were going to need. And then finding all the pieces was kind of a nightmare, right? It was uh, like, there's this black market of, of Lego pieces that are out there and they're very specific pieces. And so we had to source all these things. And it was, um, it, that was the hardest part of the whole project was finding all the pieces that we, that we needed. And so we got, found all the pieces. We, we, Put it all together and kind of as that was going along my daughter is for as much of an entrepreneur as she is she always wants to she always wants to help and one of the things as a little kid she's been passionate about for years is homelessness when we were uh, my office is in philadelphia and we went into i think maybe we we're going to the ben franklin institute and it was maybe 2016 so she was you know kindergarten age at that point and Philadelphia has a pretty big homeless problem. And we were driving through and then walking and, and you know, she's a kindergartner and she's asking about, you know, what are, what are these people on the side of the street that are sleeping there? And we kind of had a talk with a kindergartner as much as you can about homelessness. And that like really touched her. And ever since then, she always wants to help. And so the Lego hole turned into this, let's sell it to make a bunch of money to, let's sell it and donate the money to charity for homelessness. And so that's what we were planning to do. And, and I was going to try to leverage some golf connections to, you know, to, to try to help with that. Like right about, you know, after we were done, we were getting ready to, you know, announce this thing to the world kind of before the masters show everybody what we built and then COVID hit. Right. And that just kind of changed the, it just changed everything at that point in time. Uh, it, it was put on hold because of the Masters, put on hold. We've had conversations with a very well-known uh, golfer who's won the Masters multiple times um, yeah. and uh, talked with um, his uh, his agency that, that helps manage him. And um, he, he has expressed interest in helping us sell this at auction. And one of the things that we're going to be doing is we're going to be kind of breaking up the golf hole into little pieces. And we're going to send, you know, part of the fairway to every former Masters champion and get them to sign it. And uh, I've already talked with one of the big golf auction houses and they're going to be doing an auction the week of the replayed masters. So we're kind of trying to get all this timing together uh, for all of that to happen so that this can be auctioned off in November. Every dollar is gonna, gonna, is gonna go to charity. We're still gonna try to figure out which one that exactly is going to be. So that's kind of the, the story there. And then just one really funny story about my daughter being the entrepreneur that she is. So Scott, and I think I can, I'm going to go ahead and use his name. I don't think he's going to care. So Scott Fawcett was, was walking um, a practice round with Zach Johnson and um, he was walking with Zach Johnson and he showed Zach, uh, you know, a little video of the Lego hole. 
you know, Zach being a former master's champ and, 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 and Zach sent me a video, text messaged me a video and it's, it's Zach going, Hey man, this hole is awesome. I love it. You know, you need to shave the bank a little bit more to be a little bit more realistic. And, and I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm still just a giddy fan, right? That's all that I am with, with these guys when I get a chance to talk to some of them. And I'm so excited, like, you know, fanboy like and i go to show my daughter and i'm like look at this it's it's you know zach johnson and look what he said on the video and and she watches the video her immediate response was you can tell mr johnson the hole is for sale if he wants to buy it (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so she's uh she's always trying to close the deal so you need her to help you monetize. I do. Let her be the manager. She's got great ideas, and <laughs> I'm, I'm just the, the, the nerdy math guy. I think it's really cool that all these former champions are going to sign it and participate. It, it's it's just, again, like something pursuing a passion and using the platform you've created for good, right. which is a common theme that I've heard in these interviews I've done so far of taking you know, what you've built and benefiting others. How many pieces went into it? Oh man, it's over twenty thousand. Um, and the the hard part was um, this is our. I, I'm no Lego master. Like I'm sure you probably saw that show on TV. Those people are incredible. I'm not a Lego master. My daughter is is really good at it, but you know we made a lot of buying mistakes. Like we thought we'd you know we calculated incorrectly and we thought we needed a hundred and. And, and we really only needed four. And so I have lots of extra pieces <laughs> in my basement right now. Um, so that we're, we're primed and ready for the next project. We're going to build uh, this number seven at Pebble Beach. That's going to be the next Oh, wow. One. Yeah. That's really cool. So I think we're going to look at potentially doing this annually. We'll do one a year and auction it off for charity. So that, that's kind of going to be our, our goal. Any parting words or <clears throat> last things that you want to throw in? Um, I mean, chase what you enjoy doing. I mean, that's really, you know, kind of, uh, kind of it. And, you know, the best advice I ever got was on the golf course. I got to play golf, um, you know, 20 years ago with a guy who was a former Walker cupper. I mean, phenomenal. I always was, I was one of those guys that was low single digit, but wanted to be a plus four, but just didn't have the talent or skill to be a plus four, you know, national competitive and state competitive type player, but was never, never, never quite there. So I chewed this guy's ear off, you know, tell me your secret. What's your secret? how did you get so good? I was probably pretty annoying. And finally, you know, he looked at me at some point on, on the, on the course and he's like, you know, I, I love when I win. Okay. Um, what else? And then he said, you know, I love when I lose. And I'm like, and I looked at him like, nobody loves to lose. Come on. What are you talking about? And I actually said, I think I said almost exactly that to him. And I thought he just didn't want to give up the secret. And, and then he said, he's like, no, you, you misunderstood me. So I didn't say that I love to win. I didn't say that I love to lose. It's like, I love it when I win, because uh, when I win, that means I'm on the top of the mountain and everybody's trying to knock me off and I'm going to do whatever it takes to stay up there. And when I lose, um, that means somebody else is on the top of the mountain and I'm going to do whatever it takes to crawl my way up to the top of the mountain and so he basically, whatever happened to him, he used as motivation to uh, try to make himself better. And he was just a phenomenal guy, not just a, a phenomenal golfer, but a phenomenal guy. And um, I've 
that's the best advice I've ever had in my life. Uh, but I try to remember that as much as possible and, and try to make the journey, um, you know, more about just, you know, focusing on the task at hand and, and not necessarily worrying about the outcome, just putting my effort into the task. This has been really fun, Lou. I, I can't thank you enough for your time. I know you got, again, so much going on with your day job and all the projects you're doing to take what's an hour of your time and just talk to me because who knows how many years I'll get on this. Hopefully a few other than my parents or siblings. But if that <laughs> does happen, thank you so much for, for giving me all these answers and delving into the business side of it with me. Thanks, Corey. Take it easy, man. Talk to you soon. If you want to learn more about Lou and peruse through the exhaustive list of stats he's compiled, check out his Twitter, at Lou Stagner. That's L-O-U-S-T-A-G-N-E-R. Or Google his name and you'll come across several podcasts and interviews he's been featured on. I always read through Lou's tweets to help reset my expectations and remember that golf is not a game of perfect. Lou, thanks again for joining me and for sharing all the great discoveries you've made. I'll put a link to Lou's Twitter in my show comments and also a link to the video article about the Augusta Lego replica. It's worth the look. So this week's episode was about leveraging Twitter. On our next episode, we'll focus on leveraging Instagram and you'll hear from Max Siegfried. Max is my younger brother, a Division I collegiate golfer, and also the co-founder of a highly successful Instagram page, Milky Golf. Milky has almost 30,000 followers in only 24 months and sells merchandise such as polo shirts, t-shirts, hats, and towels. Max and I talk about his come up through junior golf and competing on the next level, why he started Milky Golf, how he organically grew his base of followers, and what makes Milky different than other golf social media accounts. He also shares a great story about playing poker with and taking money off of Tiger Woods at an event a few years ago. I'm excited to share this one with you soon. See you on August 19th. Take care.